Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. We're in for another great episode if you guys are at all interested in apartment buildings. We have one of the best guys in the country to talk about that. And he's a good friend of mine. He's in my mastermind. And I'm excited about this podcast. When we were talking a few weeks ago, I was like, why haven't I had you on before? I don't know. Um, but I also have Alex here. Alex, how are you? I'm awesome, man. How are you doing? Real good. <laughs> uh, trying to figure out where we're going to go on vacation. Um, <laughs> oh, the problems, oh, the problems, the right? First world problems, because we were uh, we were talking about Turks and Caicos. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Turks and Caicos is awesome with beaches. We've done it a few times. Uh, really nice vacation for sure. Yeah, I would say so. Looking at the price point on that. Uh, we, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, you could buy a you could buy a car with that with that uh, with the price point on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's been a while since we've gone anywhere, believe it or not, and um, it's been about a year and a half since we traveled, and which is a long time for us. Yeah, and, I would say you're always traveling. Yeah, well, we've been to you know we've gone to see family in Texas or something like that, but um, we haven't really gone to the beach in a long, long time, and we want to go so. Those of you wondering what we're talking about, Alex and I were texting each other earlier this weekend about where we should go. I'm thinking I'd like to go to Cozumel maybe for a little bit. Um, or there's an area south of Cancun, and uh, we've been looking at some info there. And Anyway, so that's what's on my mind right now, Alex. What's, what's been on your mind lately? Oh, not much. Just trying to uh, ramp up, get some more deals through the pipeline, uh, increasing direct mail and trying to um, take out the kinks and the bottleneck, so to speak, when it comes to processing leads and getting down to the money deals for sure. Yeah. What uh, I know I ask you this a lot, but what percent of your deals would you say you are buying and holding right now to fix and flip uh, or wholesaling? One percent. <laughs> oh, you're only holding 1%. No, I'm not holding anything. Uh, I do need to be holding more for sure, but uh, no, I'm just flipping at this point. Okay. Now, when you say flipping, do you mean fix and flip or are you just flipping wholesale, the Wholesale, new construction. Um, yeah. I mean, a flip, whether I'm doing a wholesale contract assignment, flip the contract or uh, flipping, whether I buy a house, tear it down and put new construction or a renovation. Right. Okay, so of the flips that you do, what percentage of them are you just flipping the contract versus oh, fixing it okay. up? Okay, in that sense. Okay. I would say about 50-50. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe a little more towards the doing it myself, holding it kind of thing. So uh maybe 60-40. You know what's I interesting? Know. I, I'm I'm wholesaling with a local wholesaler, right? So we've talked about right. this before. I do the marketing and pre-screen the leads and do a follow-up. And some of the deals he will actually buy and fix up. And so we always have this interesting discussion when that happens, right? Joe, do you want your wholesaling profit now or do you want to wait until we fix it and fix rehab it and then split the profits later? And uh, for me, I've always felt like it just wouldn't be fair if, you know, I, I know I got the deal, right? I helped, I found the lead, but it wouldn't be fair if we split the rehabbing profit. If he were to buy it, actually put his money into it to fix it up and then sell it on a retail market on the MLS. Yeah. So I've just been, if I, we were to do that, I'd have to bring some money to the table. You know, I'd have to bring the rehab money, for example, to the table. But of the, I don't know, 10, 12 deals in the last year or so that we've had that situation, I've just said, let's, Let's do, like, if you were to wholesale this, I trust him. What do you think we could wholesale it contract for? And then I'll split that 50-50 with him. So he's basically paying me up front, and then he's fixing house, fixing the house up and then selling it and making a lot more money on his end. But he's putting in a lot more risk and sure. effort into that, right? 
So you should be paid. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wins. It's been good. Well, cool. Let's let's talk to Corey, shall we? Absolutely. Hey, what's up, guys? Corey, good man. How are you? Oh, doing wonderful. Wonderful. Corey is a friend of mine from our mastermind, Collective Genius. And Corey, you've been doing a lot of big deals, <laughs> like uh, really yeah. big deals, right? Yeah, good size. Well, we're going to talk about that, if that's all right with you on this podcast. Sure. We intentionally, as soon as we got you on the phone, we just started recording because I didn't want to ask you too many questions before you know everybody else got to kind of hear your answers and stuff. But um, why do they call you the big kahuna, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I got lucky and picked a name that was really sticky. And, uh, you know, I actually went to Hawaii in 2000 and uh, I think it was four with my girlfriend. That's now my wife for 15 years. But we kind of sort of had a magical experience in Kauai, the garden oh, island. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was my mom's now ex-husband, but at the time, richest man that I knew, he had a home right in Anahola Bay. I mean, you go over the berm and you're in the ocean. It's on a cove. And would you know it, there's like a fresh mountain stream that goes in from, you know, that runs into the ocean. And it was just magical, right? Yeah. And so I looked at this guy and I was like, man, what does he do? You know, he's like, his phone's not ringing. He's got high end art. And anyways, I left the island thinking, man, this guy's the big kahuna. Like he's got time and money and all the things that I want. And come to find out, he was a real estate investor. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, hence, I got enough courage to the next year to start my own company. I started it with the end in mind, uh, Kahuna Investments. That's and neat. <laughs> what, what year was that, Corey? 2005. All right. And so, by the way, I forgot to tell everybody who, what your last name is. You're Corey Peterson, right? Yeah, Corey Peterson. And the name of your company is Big Kahuna Investments or just Kahuna Investments? Just Kahuna Investments. Okay. Do you still go to Kauai? I love Kauai, by the way. Oh, it's my favorite island. I go there at least once every other year. Sometimes, you know, it's magical. It always is. I did a couple of real estate workshops there. Yeah, I like, and I like all parts of that island. I mean, I like the North Shore. I like uh, Poipu. I mean, I, I really like it all. Yeah, that's the only island I've been to. And I don't have any interest in going to the other islands either. <laughs> it's just amazing. <clears throat> All right. So Corey, that was 2005. You got the real estate bug because you saw somebody doing it successfully. What did you start doing in 2005 when you got back to the mainland? So, you know, I just started, I did, I did some uh, fix and flips, you know, I'd read some books and said, Hey, get a home equity loan on your home. And I did that. And uh, I, I successfully called some credit unions and found their REO departments and, uh, and got some deals and uh, did some deals. And then I, I actually, uh, flipped like three of them. Then I took the money and I started buying rental properties. And where do you live, and, uh, Corey? By the way, where where well, are you investing? At that time, I at that time I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I live in uh, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, right now, and it's a beautiful day. Let me tell you. Yeah. All right. But yeah, the the quick story is we we uh, I, I bought some rental properties, and then all of a sudden I ran into my first problem, Joe. I ran out of money. Right. Mm -hmm. All my money was in three, you know, little. Uh, segments of these rental properties. And guess what? I didn't have enough really income to retire or quit my job, but I had quit my job. And uh, lo and behold, I had to go find a job again because I really didn't, I wasn't apt in, uh, in raising capital like I am now. Okay. And so uh, through that process, I actually became a financial advisor, got my series seven, series 66 and moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And we enjoyed about, you know, maybe three years of a good market in the financial services industry. And lo and behold, we had the big crash. And so I kind of didn't get scathed through that because I was really focused on kind of the Edward Jones business model. And when I awoke from my, my haze, I, I found myself in one of the best markets ever. And um, I learned a lot about raising money and capital and um, and really got really good at raising capital and started doing lots of fix and flips here in the valley. So just so everybody is familiar, excuse me, Edward Jones is, you were like a um, certified financial planner, right? And you had to actually go out and win your own business. Is that correct? Yes. I, I started off as a new, new. So, and you know, Edward Jones well, because it's based in St. Louis. Yeah. And um, 
you know, I start off as a new, new, no, no assets, no, no clients. So you start off in a suit and tie and you start going door knocking door to door, door to door. And, um, in Arizona in the heat, that's something special. Let me tell you. <laughs> that's extremely hard. I know what's the, I know a lot of people that have done that and, and quit. I mean, don't they say that the average lifespan of a, uh, Edward Jones beginner is less than a year or two years or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you never, most of them never make it to their own office. So I actually, uh, was successful, made it to my own office. Um, you know, got set. Once you get an office, it's like the doors of Edward Jones open up, you know, it's like, Oh, you get a secretary, you have a, a real place to do business. And it was a great thing. I mean, I was, it was one of the biggest accomplishments that I'd have personally made because it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it is that, it is that hard to go out and door knock and find people with money and get them to give it to you. But I learned a lot about networking. Oh yeah. It's very hard. I, I, I couldn't do it. Alex, could you, uh, what find money from people? No, no, no. Like knock on doors. Well, door, door to door. door yeah. <laughs> literally door to literally door to door, like going to a, a, a residential section and say, yeah. Hey, yep. Hey, the pitch is, hey, you know, my name is Corey Peterson, uh, and I'm with Ever Jones. I'm getting ready to build an office over here in this in this area because you didn't quite know exactly where. You just said, you know, these cross streets, and I just want to introduce myself, you know. And <laughs> that was that was the pitch. And um, yeah, you know, if somebody would really think, probably right off the bat, that wow, this guy just wants to take my money, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it's a process, and. Every Edward Jones guy goes through that process. So they have one of the best training processes in the country. And they're always ranked like one or two uh, best places to work for. Hmm. Wow. So, I mean, you bleed Edward Jones green uh, by the end of your your process. I mean, it's, it's very well indoctrinated. And honestly, it was a great company. I learned so much about financial services in that business. So I'm, I'm real, I'm real thankful. Well, yeah. And it was obviously did, did you well in your real estate career too. So I wanted to ask you though, you were not in the real estate business when the market crashed, but how did it affect your financial services business? Oh gosh. That's so that's why I ended up leaving. Um, actually I got fired to be the truth. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I sat there, every investment that you'd made up to that, that point was, in the tank. I mean, half of the value, it was just a, the worst time to be a financial advisor in, in, uh, there could ever be. And people would come into your office crying. And honestly, I just, my heart wasn't in it after my third year. It was just, it's not what I really want to do. I wanted to be a real estate investor. And, um, I remember there was, I've had a meeting at my, uh, my office with my, my senior uh, manager and I remember looking at my wife and I'm like, man, I think that there may be a chance that I, I may be getting fired today. And as soon as I walked into the office and looked at my uh, admin, I, I knew the call had been made. and I knew that I was toast. And um, so I really sat there. I mean, it was a very uh, integral part of my, uh, my story, I guess, is I knew I was going to get uh, canned. And I had to like figure out like what, what was plan B? What was I going to do? And Why would they, that, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, you're, you're almost, it's a commission business, right? So why would they fire you? Just be, uh, my numbers sucked. I mean, at that point in time, you know, if you don't meet your numbers and your quota, I mean, you know, Edward okay. Jones, you'll, you'll be gone. I mean, All it's right. still a numbers based business. So at that point, my heart wasn't in, it. I wasn't really enjoying going out and talking to people about how they lost all their money. Hmm. And truly, well, I really want to do real estate. So at that point in time, though, it crystallized for me that real estate was what I was going to do. And I remember sitting in my office. Well, actually, I got canned and I went to Starbucks and I sat there for about an hour and a half because I had to figure out how I was gonna, what I was going to tell my wife. Okay. And it really, I, I explained it as I had this little kid inside of me that always felt like he could do anything he put his mind to. And I, I proved that with Edward Jones just going through that gauntlet. And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of wrestling with the older kid in me or the, the man in me that was saying, you know, you got bills and stuff and you got to have income. And, and here this other point was like, let's, let's just go do real estate. Let's go figure it out. And so I made that commitment right there to be the very best and to, to really, I guess the deep, a deep, besides marrying my wife, the only commitment that, you know, that she would just, 
you put your whole heart into it. And I, that's what I did with real estate and said, I was going to find a way to win. I didn't even have all the answers yet. And, um, so I, you know, I, I left Starbucks just on a high for about, you know, 30 seconds and then, you know, sheer terror, terror, as I had to realize that I had to go now tell, tell my wife and sell that to my wife. <laughs> wow. All right. So then your wife, obviously you're still married, so it kind of yes. worked out. All right. It then, worked out. Um, what, what did you start doing next to get into the real estate game again? So then, you know, Jeff Jones had taught me really how to network. So I started going to the RIAs. Um, I picked up wholesaling because that's where I needed to start. I didn't have a whole lot of money for, uh, to, to do the deals. And, um, I just, I, I actually found really good live mentors at my RIA, met another guy that really show, showed me how to get on the MLS, find and lock deals. And obviously there was lots of deals in Phoenix and, um, I just started wholesaling. Um, I did a really good job at it for about, you know, a year. And then I raised my first piece of private money. And that's really what changed for me. And it was kind of like Superman coming out of his, you know, uh, out of the telephone booth with, you know, pulling out your chest, right? Um, that's what private money did for me. Cause, and I actually learned how to do it totally by accident. So there's this guy, I'll call him Carl. Carl and I used to play racquetball, and he was a former client of mine at Edward Jones. But I really didn't think he had any extra money because all his stuff was kind of parked in certain annuities and things. So I didn't really think he had any extra money. So I was asking him totally as a friend. And I said, hey, Carl, you know, you're seeing me wholesale these deals, and I'm making a little small piece. And, uh, you know, the investors that I'm selling these deals to are making the big chunk. I'm like, man, I'd like to flip that around if someone would give me money. I could give them a note and deed of trust and all that stuff and, and pay them a pretty good rate of return. So the next, so he left and said, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll go out and, um, and ask the people because Carl had lived in a retirement community. So I'm like, you know, he probably knows some guys. Well, the next day, guess who calls me? Carl. And so in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, Carl found somebody. And he goes, Corey, he goes, you probably don't know this, but my home's free and clear. And I can borrow money at 3%. And if you're going to uh, pay me 12, he goes, I get to make a spread. How much money do you need? Nice. And so, you know, it's like $85,000, Carl. He goes, yeah, no problem. Uh, where do you want me to send it? Well, I mean, my jaw, jaw to like dropped and hit the floor at that point in time. Right. I mean, just, and, uh, and I didn't have that thought out that far in advance. Right. So I'm like, whoa, hold on, Carl, let me get back to you. So anyways, uh, we successfully did some deals and, and he became my first guy that gave me private money. But what it really did for me, Joe, is it gave me the confidence. Huh. And then, you know, then I started looking for mentors that were raising capital and what they were using, what tools they were using. And um, before long, I was probably doing seven or eight fix and flips, running about two to three million dollars of private capital here in the valley, here in Phoenix. What year was that? Oh, nine, 10, 11. Oh, 09, 10, and 11. So kind of at the trough, the bottom of the market, what, what kind yep. of deals were, were you doing at that point? I mean, like I wouldn't, you wouldn't think, you wouldn't think that there are many people looking for deals at that time of the, you know, of the market. Yeah. So we had this one little area that's about 30 minutes from my house called Queen Creek. And, you know, this was like, you know, buy till you qualify kind of area. All the homes were built in like 2005, 2006, they're all new builds. And they were just on sale for half the cost and we could fix them up and, uh, you know, buy them for $60,000, put, you know, $10,000 into it or less. Sometimes not even that, maybe like six, seven, right? Carpet paint and a couple fixtures. And we would sell them for like 105, 100,000. And they were just little magic pill formula deals where we, um, little cookie cutters, not much, um, thinking not much, uh, not much problems. And nice. we, we, I raked it. <laughs> nice. So I'm a, now I'll transition into the, how we got in the multifamilies. Well, before we do that, Corey, what kind of advice would you give to people who want to start raising private money? Is there, you know, a book that they could read or a course that they could go through or, you know, should they, because there's a lot of, I think, misinformation about there, out there about it, isn't there? Like there's a right way and a so. wrong way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you're pulling money together, whether, yes. Um, you know, uh, I, I learned a lot of my private money stuff from um, 
people like Dave Lindahl, people like um, Fortune Builders, Dan Merrill, right? We're in the works of actually creating our own um, podcast right now, uh, teaching that exact thing. So Nice. Uh, What's that going to be called? It's called the Multifamily Apartments Investing Podcast. Multifamilies Investing Podcast. Yep. Multifamily Apartments okay. Investing Podcast. Nice. We just called it twice so we could make sure we get all the... Uh, People that were searching for the term. <laughs> right, right. Very good. Yeah, so we'll talk about that uh, later at the end of the show. Maybe you can give us a website or a link for people to go to a website or something yeah. like that. All right, cool. So you're raising private money. You, I guess the main way, the main way you do that is just by flapping your lips, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's here's what's funny. I, I really learned something unique in this is that friends and family, that's where you start. And people say, are you kidding me, Corey? You got to start with friends and family. And I absolutely, yes, you do. And you just start sharing. And what I learned is you don't ever ask people for money. You just, you never do. You ask them who do they know that may be interested and the people. And by doing that, you kind of, you set the tone like, Hey, I'm not going to ask you for money, but I really want to share with you what I'm doing. And I really want you to critically look at it because I think you got a lot of integrity and, um, you know, I want you to like, make sure that you understand this. Cause if you don't understand it, then none of your friends would understand it as well. And so you're asking them to critically, uh, kind of critique what you're doing. And so now they're really engaged. And then at the end, what happens a lot of the times is people just self-select and they say, well, <laughs> are you going to ask me about this? Do you, <laughs> are you going to offer this to me? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so that's really how we did it in the beginning is just just like that. And we shared our story, what we were doing and, you know, hey, who do you know? And because I think it might help some of your friends, you know, they'll be give, give a real nice gift. And then eventually they're like, well, I'm interested. And, you know, and my friends, too. And what we would do is once we start doing successful deals with people, we take them out to dinner or lunch or whatever and have them bring their friends and we pay for the, you know, pay for the whole thing. And then you say two words and shut up. And then, you know, everybody else does the work for you. What were the words that you would use to describe what you were doing to get them interested in uh, investing with you? Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I just say, Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm in real estate and we are always looking for uh, private at that point in time as private lenders, right? We, we teach people how to be the bank huh. and you know, how to lend your own money. Right. And really, that's what we, we showed them how to do that. Like, you know, we, we don't, you don't send your money to me. You send it to a title company, just like a bank would. Yeah. Right. So we just educated them on the whole process and we actually created a private money lending program. And, and I, I'll be more than happy to share that with you and your listeners as well, Joe, Yeah. of what we use. And then I, I took that and what I call my credibility kit. So my credibility kit was kind of like my before and afters and just showed that I knew how to find a deal and I knew how to make money. Right. And kind of a list of all my resources and people that I used. Yeah. And so with a, a you know, a private lending program of here's how we take people's money. And then here's what I've done in the past together. Those two pieces helped me raise lots and lots of money. Do you guys uh, remember Alan Cowgill? Oh yeah. He's still around. Is he? Oh yeah, he still travels and speaks. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, he was the big thing. He was big on like the lunches and the stuff like that. Do you remember him, Corey? Um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not the greatest verse in all those people. So no. <laughs> oh, I live in my own little bubble, brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he he does um, a lot of training on raising private money, and you're right. Back in the day. Uh, that was what a lot of people would teach, right? To, to get people into a private lunch. And it's a lot more difficult to do that these days. What? Yep. Maybe you can spend a little bit of time talking about the legal hurdles with raising private money. What, do, what does somebody need to be aware of? What do they need to be careful about with when they're raising private money? Yeah, I think one of the key things you want to be, you know, is talking. It all depends. So, like, even with raising capital, uh, you know, when you pull two pieces of money together, so if you had somebody that has a hundred thousand and someone that has another hundred thousand, and you're trying to do a two hundred thousand dollar deal together, you're actually creating a security. 
by pooling those people's money. So you got to be very knowledgeable about what you're doing. You just can't take people's money because, right? You really want them to be more as a lender and only really in a first position. That's on the single family side. Now on the multifamily side, we create what's called private placements, PPMs, private placement memorandums. These are very um, detailed legal documents that um, really uh, go through the process of our waterfall, waterfall uh, for our investors, how we're paying the investors. It really details every aspect of how we run the property, and it costs between fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. And um, and then there's even things that you can and can't do in that process, right? Okay. So sometimes you have your first meeting, your first meeting, you're really not supposed to give details about specifics, about rates of return. Now there's different classes. So there's a 50, um, 506, I think it's 503 or 506B and 506C. One is uh, the older rules, which is what we, what I just talked about where you need to have a first meeting and a second meeting. You need to have them fill out what's called an accredited investors form. And then there's the new rules, which is the crowdfunding rules. And that you could say with those types of rules, you can really disclose whatever you're doing, but you can only take accredited investors, meaning guys that have uh, at least $250,000 of income or at least a million dollars of net worth, excluding their personal home. Okay. So they're, they're definitely, you need to kind of check with your legal uh, on that, uh, but there definitely are rules, right? And you got to be, you need to pay attention to raising capital because it is, um, yeah, something you, you definitely you, have to be careful for sure. Yes. You want to make sure you have all your stuff lined up, uh, and know what exactly what you're doing and what, what you can say and what you can't say. Now, when you do deeds of trust, single deeds of trust, one lender per house, you are not pooling funds at that point, correct? It, exactly. That's what. Yes. That's the way you got to keep it. One lender, one loan, one house. Yes, because then if it looks like a bank, uh, it acts like a bank. Then it kind of is a bank, and even though it's they're banking their personal money, and that's you know you you got to do it the right way. So that's really big on on the lender standards. And when you close the deal, you've got to give them their money back. Yeah. So you don't keep their money. <laughs> really? <right>? Yeah. <laughs> so that's not funny. Well, that's what the title company's for. In fact, yeah. 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 I don't pay any interest out of my pocket to any lender ever. It all goes through the title company. So yes. therefore, I Me never too. pay interest. Yes. Me too. And that's the, I mean, so the great thing about having your own private lending program is you get to set all the rules and how you're going to take capital, right? And if you don't want to make payments, which I don't, like if you got 10, nope. 10, 12, 13 deals going, you just don't want to have that issue of trying to make nope. that payment every month. So, nope. Yeah. It's all paid out at the end of the sale and not no interest or no payments ever leave my bank and go to uh, any direct lender. So therefore I will never be in this position where I'm, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm in any weird situation. We'll put it that, that way. Yes. <laughs> but you, you go. You're, to be clear though, you are paying them interest, but it's coming out of the profits, right? So it comes from the property. Yes. Not from me, but you have in your uh, agreement, you, you give your lenders maybe a promissory note or some kind of contract. Yes, absolutely. They're secured by a mortgage. Right. In first yep. position. Yes. And the title does all that work for you. Yeah. Nice. It gets recorded in the county, right? Yep. And if it's a big enough project or a long enough project, you get insurance and you would add them in as your mortgagee, right? Additional. Yep. Additional insured. Yep. Additional uh -huh. insured. So it's a very safe investment for the investors. Exactly. But you got to make sure like it's very, very clearly above board because you could potentially get yourself into a lot of hot water if you don't do it right. Just yes. like anything. Well, yeah. I think especially <laughs> private money, though, right? I mean, private lending, there's some people that have gotten into real big trouble with that. And it definitely starts raising a lot of red flags. And um, yeah, it could be bad news. If, if you do it wrong, yeah, you cannot pool funds. Yeah. You cannot use other investors' money to pay other investors. You just can't yep. do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's kind of a one-off. And if you do it right, like, you know, it's one deal for one person, they fund it. It's kind of its own incubator. When you sell the property, everybody gets paid, right? And mm -hmm. uh, 
that is the cleanest and easiest way that I found to do it. All right. So Corey, you, you've done a lot of houses over your, your investing career. Now you're getting into really big apartments. Yeah. Talk about like how much private money have you raised and how much are you have, do you have working for you right Gosh. now? I want to say maybe an excess of 10 or 15 million, probably maybe a little bit more. Okay, cool. Right okay. now. So we do it on a, now we raise money on a deal basis. So like we just closed a 93 unit apartment complex uh, in October. That was a $1.4 million raise, right? Wow. So we raised that capital, placed it. The asset's doing great. It's already cash flowing really nice, actually better than expected, which is really good. And we make quarterly payments out of that deal. So our investors have already got their first check in the mail. And uh, we love giving out mailbox money on these on these bigger assets. And, um, you know, it's 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 a great win win for everybody. What's a what's an average annualized return for your investors in your apartment deals, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so we typically try to run between a six to eight percent preferred return based on cash flow. What that means is that as we're operating, you know, people are paying us their rents. Um, we're going to pay you know between six to eight. On average, it's usually seven, right? Seven percent preferred. So if they give us a hundred thousand, they're going to make seven thousand dollars a year. But it, we pay it quarterly. But they're also do the way. Do they also become a part owner in the deal as well? Is that uh-huh. how you structure? Yeah. It? So yep. if and when you sell the deal, they get uh, their share of it, the equity out of it, right? Yeah, we call that the carrot. The <laughs> right? carrot. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, because I would feel like this. This is when I used to sell securities. I'm like, hey, listen, as a financial advisor, if you could make 6 to 8% return year over year over year, that's like a pretty good investment, right? It's not a great one, but it's pretty dang good. Yes. And so then we say, and the, but there's a carrot on the end of this thing, which is we're eventually going to sell our property. And we usually have a five-year hold period. That's when we, that's about as long as we like to incubate these multifamily properties. Then we, when we do sell, it's usually an additional six to 8% return per year. So it'd be like, if it was 8% times five years, that's another 40% of, uh, of their money coming all at once. So it's a really nice carrot to get. Yeah. Yeah. So they, did you, are they like, uh, do they actually get equity in the company? that uh, is owning the property? Is that how you do that? Or Yeah. Yeah. They actually become, they're limited liability owners, right? So they have all the benefits, meaning they get a share of the depreciation from our assets, hmm. right? So like right now, we're actually just did a cost segregation study on the, the property that we just bought. And we're going to be able to accelerate um, for the first five years, like um, a stupid amount of, um, of uh, depreciation, and it's going to really it's going to flow through not only to us as the owners, but to our, uh, our investors because they're owners as well. So it's it's really it's a fifty fifty split. So I think our first year we're going to get like maybe two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars of depreciation. Wow! So half of that goes to my investment pool. And, That's um, huge. That can be really big, nice to right. somebody who uh, is trying not to pay taxes. Yeah. So it's a big deal. Yeah. It's like the secret that no one talks about, but it's there. So what, you know, if you figure in the tax benefits of owning investment real estate, the the preferred rates return that they get, and then the carrot return that they get at the end, you know, what approximately, what's the total ROI, if you can't even figure that out yet? Of what uh, I'm just going to say 14 plus. I mean, so I, I mean, we, I don't have a financial calculator, but usually it's 14, 14% total return plus. That's phenomenal. So it, it, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the trigger for us. Now we've been actually bringing our cost of capital down a little bit because it's right now in this marketplace, um, it's extremely competitive and um, we've been really ch- uh, conservatively picking our deals right now okay. because interest rates are starting to go up. And as interest rates go up, cap rates will actually accelerate and go up faster. Really? Yeah. And so we're really looking forward. Um, you know, right now we have a available select pool of deals that we look at. So last year we underwrote like 763 
apartment deals in the Midwest and South, the areas that we look at. 760 right? doors or apartment deals, buildings? Actual listings, uh, okay. you know, broker, broker deals, right? Yeah. What we've learned is for us is that um, there is no magic pill to find a deal. You just got to do the work. Mm-hmm. And so we try to underwrite everything that comes out in our Midwest area that we look for and, and the South area that we look at. And, um, and then we put them through our financial model. And then when we get to that point, it kind of tells us whether or not we're close to being in a deal or not. And from there, we'll start meriting and, and taking second looks at the deals that we try to go after. Interesting. Yeah, it's, there's no magic pill formula for that. I mean, most of the deals in the uh, in this space, when you get to commercial, a lot of them are, are actually listed with brokers. So that broker relationship is really important to us. And we want to be the first look because um, before it gets on to LoopNet and some other places. Okay. But what we really just have to do the work um, and put the underwriting in. And we know our numbers, so we know how we how we operate, what our financial numbers are on a per door basis. And so we can take that operational integrity and then, and, and put it in our model of what their numbers are. And, and we can kind of see where we can take an asset. So um, how many apartment buildings do you own or how many doors do you own right now, Corey? Uh, like 427. Um, nice. about, uh, four deal- yeah. Four <laughs> deals. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, so here's an example. So the reason I got into the apartments, this is crazy, but in Phoenix, when the market started in like 2011, it was harder to find the REOs and short sales, right? Yeah. And at at that time I had all this capital behind me saying, Corey, you know, put me to work. And I had to go figure out like the next, you know, phase. And, um, I didn't really know how to do direct mail marketing for the single family homes like I do now, but. Um, and so I just, I, I kind of always wanted to do multifamilies. I just thought that it would be a, a bigger, safer environment to put my investors capital. So once I figured out the whole process of how multifamily works, how to find the deals and how to structure and all that stuff, I bought my first deal for 3.2 million. I raised uh, $1.4 million of private capital and we funded it in like two weeks, very quick funding. Same property I've owned now since uh, 2011. We're putting it on the market for $9 million this summer. Actually, it's we're supposed to list it, I think, next month or so. Good for you. For $9 million, yeah. So that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty good win. That's one oh, deal, my boy. friend. That's just one. And it cash flows every month. So we're not even motivated to sell. So, But the market, in, this one's in South Carolina in Greenville, South Carolina, which is a hot market right now. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Yeah. We're just going to sell it and then we'll take that money and scoop it and go put it, do a 1031 tax exchange. Right. And find another deal that we find is an an emerging market that makes a lot of sense and and do the same thing and watch rents and repeat. And uh, it's a lot easier to do it in the bigger deals, believe it or not. So they're still competitive though. It's, it's, you still feel like there's, there's competition for these deals. Yeah, but there's not as much. There's not as many players in this in the in that multifamily space. I mean, you kind of know some most of the good players, right? Yeah. Um, but we we underwrite so many deals that we always kind of have a pool of deals that we could go to, and so it's really more of a for us. It's having available capital. So we've been really focused on raising more capital as we're starting to see the opportunity um, with cap rates going up, we want, we want to be primed in like the next year or two to really be able to take advantage of even bigger buying uh, opportunities. Interesting. Yeah. So Corey, what would you, somebody who has maybe done some house flips, they do some rehabbing They're They're buying and holding some single family homes. They're wanting to kind of play with or dip their toes into the multifamily market where do you recommend they start? Here in about another month, go to kahunawealthbuilders.com because I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll have my, my program uh, kind of set up. But it, I mean, honestly, I'll have some really good uh, videos. We just we actually created videos last week, uh, hour-long videos, just going through step-by-step-by-step-by-step by step by step process. Uh, 
you know, and it's just really what I've learned from um, all my mentors along the way. And uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Nice. So you, you're going to be coming out with a podcast as well, kahunawealthbuilders.com. That's the website. But what's the podcast going to be called again? The Multifamily Apartments Investing Podcast. Okay, nice. And you'll be teaching on that podcast how to do these kinds of deals as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Awesome. Very cool. It's really my way to give back, Joe. I mean, I, I really feel like I've been really blessed in this business and life. And I've always had a strong um, desire to teach and coach and give my knowledge. I, you know, I don't know if you know this, Joe, but I grew up in Missouri as well. I'm from West Plains, oh, yeah? West Plains, Missouri, out there in the Ozarks by Branson. Wow. And, uh, so I, I grew up on a 180-acre farm. Just I'm just a country boy at heart. No wonder you're such a nice guy. <laughs> Any, anybody raised and born and raised in Missouri is a nice guy. Yeah. We wave at people when we drive. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, so some people though, Corey, and I know what you're going to say to this, but I want to ask it anyway. They look at big multifamilies and it's a little intimidating. And they're like, oh man, I could never get into that. Like that's out of my league. What would you say to that? I used to say the same thing, Joe. You know, I used to say, I wish, I wish I could buy an apartment complex, right? And one day, all I did was I just changed my verbiage, and I said, how can I own an apartment complex? And as soon as I asked myself, how can I, my mind started working. And I said, well, what do I know about apartments? How do I, what's the process? Because there's a process for everything, Joe. And when you start breaking it down into little pieces like that, it's really not so big. You know, there's a, a money component. And uh, finding a deal component. And really, the two are not too much different. It's just a couple more zeros. But, I mean, you're looking at a guy that started from nothing. Hmm. And if I can do it, I mean, I, and I'm not that smart. You know, I barely met out of high school. And I talk out of one side of my mouth, and I'm kind of deaf in my right ear. So, like, I've got a lot of crutches. So, yeah. I know your listeners could probably kill it. Well, yeah, I mean, and <laughs> it's funny because you, you are such a down-to-earth guy, Corey. People can really relate to you, and it's you're an inspiration too, man. Because if they, they, you're very successful, extremely successful, but you're super, hum- you're super humble about it, which is which is really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, you know I've never felt like I've ever had to toot my own horn. I go to work like everybody else does, right? I mean, every day I I, I suit up, put on uh, you know my clothes, and, and get ready to hit it, and. Um, there is no magic formula on how to do anything to be successful. You've just got to be willing to make some mistakes and kind of put in the elbow grease and, and you'll learn the process. You really will. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, one of the things too, Corey, I think when, when you would ask, like when you said, ask the right question, you know, how can I do a multifamily deal? The first thing I thought of was partner with somebody who's done them before, right? Yes. Yep. So does that... Is that an opportunity that you are thinking about exploring yourself? Is that one of the reasons why you're doing the podcast and coming up with kahunawealthbuilders.com? It really is. Just to say, how do, I, how do I get involved with people? How can I help, right? Because I, I know that I've got a certain amount of uh, bandwidth as far as the raising the capital and all that stuff. But um, how, do I, how do I get involved with students to, to do deals, Right. And um, I've seen so many successful, even your story, Joe. I mean, there's just ways that you can go out there and work with people and help them be successful. And I think that's really uh, just what I'm, why I've wanted to create the podcast is just to get out and have, you know, a bunch of people actually learn my system and bring me deals that we can do together. That's a fun business. Yeah, definitely. That's the, the best way to learn it, isn't it? Because you can avoid a lot of costly mistakes. Oh, lots of costly mistakes. Yeah. And in, and, and in the multifamily game, I mean, you can make a mistake that could be, you know, a really, you could lose your shorts, right? So there's, it is, because it is a couple more zeros, you know, the, the zeros can cut the other way as well, right? Yeah. And so you do need to be prudent. You need to have um, a guide and, you know, someone that's been there, done that, because there's lots of things that you think you know, but you don't know, and a, a mentor can help bring it out. 
What are some of the ways, if you are starting to invest in big multi- apartments and multifamilies, Corey, what are some of the ways you can protect yourself? I remember when I was working for my former, former employer, they had an office in Dallas. I was living in St. Louis at the time. They sent me down to Dallas, Texas, because they were closing that office down and we had to finish up some projects. And this was probably 2002, I think, 2002, 2003. And either Dallas was coming out of a recession or they were in a recession. I forget what it was. But I remember at the time, a lot of apartment builders, uh, apartment owners were were being hurt. They were getting hit hard with the economy. And it was a local thing. I remember, too, in in the year – there was a recession, wasn't there, Like when the dot-com bubble burst in the late 90s? But, you know, there have been times in the past when large multifamilies were, if they weren't leveraged properly or if they weren't in the right positions, they were hurt. Yes. Right? So what, what, are, what are some of the things that, you, uh, that somebody who's investing in apartment buildings needs to be aware of so that they don't get burnt when the next downturn in the economy happens? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. This is this is this is exactly what we tell our capital as we're raising capital and why kind of the steps that we're taking to make sure. And so this is really it's a great question, by the way. So one of the things we do is just with our loan structure. So we've purposely done this in like the last two deals that we've bought. We did a um, a fixed note for seven, now in commercial. Usually the standard loan is around five years, right? So we got a seven-year fixed loan, and then after that seven years, it then converts to a 13-year adjustable note. And the reason we did it that way, we paid just a couple, a uh, little bit of um, basis points for that to do that. But in like 2008, 2009, there was a lot of loans that were or properties that were cash flowing, but their note had been cold, you know, or it was due, and there was no new money to go get a new loan. And so they end up defaulting, not because they weren't cash flowing, but because of their note was due and there was no new money out there. So that's a big risk. And so we felt like we've leveraged that, you know, correctly to make sure that we could weather out a period of time. The other part is um, look for cash flow. So we buy our properties not based on appreciation, yeah. but really based on a cash flow model. And so you want to start seeing that, you know, a lot of times year one, there's not so much cash flow in a lot of these properties that we buy because we're doing the work and the fix up to clean up and evict the wrong tenants and put the new ones in. But by year two, you want to start seeing cash flow and you want to see a decent amount of cash flow. And year two, three, four, and five, you want to see that continually to increase in their performance. Well, let me ask you about that, Corey. What kind of uh, vacancies do you need to have to to break even? Um, because obviously, even during the recessions, it wasn't like there was a ton of vacancies in these apartment buildings. Um, right. But they were still getting bit, right? And there were still a lot of apartment owners that were getting in, going into bankruptcy and foreclosure and stuff like that. Um, yep. It's because, to me, I guess they were they were counting on appreciation. Their leverage, their all their their leverage was all messed up. But like on, on a hundred unit apartment building, what kind of vacancies do you need to have? Like, what's worst case? If you were below a certain threshold, you would be losing money. We want to try to operate at least that we can operate our properties at a seventy five uh, percent uh, occupancy rate and still break even yeah that's not usually going to happen on year one but um, it's something that we try to sh- you know in our whole underwriting model we look at that and make sure they, are we we just don't want everyone to get caught in a downturn either because we're raising lots and lots of capital and you know when you're a fiduciary for other people's money um, it is a real I mean the money is in the money, right? So for us, we protect our capital at all costs. I would give up all my profit in the deal just to make sure that we take care of the money, right? You got to so take care of the I, lender. Yes. Absolutely. It is like the golden rule to raising capital. And so we try to look, most of our deals are kind of like 50-50 splits. And so if the investors are making a certain capital, that usually means that I'm making the same amount on my side as well. 
not always in year one or year two, um, but there's a time that we're making a pretty good amount of, you know, half of what our investors are making. And we've, we like that because we feel like it is, is a safety net that if we didn't hit our financial objective to pay the investors, we just take it from our side of the pool. Right. Yeah. And, and put it into their capital. But here's the other thing. Now, when you, I gotta, I gotta say this because when the down, the kind of stuff that I buy, it is not the Taj Mahal A-class pretty looking properties. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I am yeah. buying a B, sometimes C, a lot of times C, C plus properties. These are stuff that's built in the seventies, early eighties. They are not Taj Mahal. But I do know this, Joe, I know that everybody, no matter what income they're in, they want to live in the best place that's clean, safe, and affordable that they can afford, right? Yeah. So by buying those 70s and 80s projects, when there is a downturn in that, you know, the market, what are people going to do? They're going to move out of that A-class building or B-plus building if they're apartment renters, and they're going to go to what? Something that is more affordable, yeah. that's still safe, clean, and ran properly. So I feel like in a way, now it's not, it's not, this is not a blanket statement, but we are a lot more insulated in those, those types of uh, downturns in that product class because we have downward pressure filling our units when um, uh, something like that happens, right? And it's really helped us in those cases because, yeah, we still may have to lower our price points a little bit, right, to be uh, with the market, but we're still going to have a good still uh, pool of available people that want to rent. And that's been very important. That's good because um, people are always going to need a, a roof over their heads. And the population yeah. in the U.S. is growing. There will always be a demand for housing. And they do not build that 70s or 80s property anymore. So it, it is really, um, you know, a lot of those types of properties, do they suffer from deferred maintenance, from bad ownership. And honestly, when we're buying these properties, we are really looking for fixable problems. So it's usually a combination of deferred maintenance, meaning not taking care of the property correctly and letting things go to the wayside. And then um, coupled with bad management, bad operations, and that you see a lot of. And we operate on such a high level, and I'm very proud of that, that, I mean, our, our systems that we have in place really just um, help us. We manage at a very high level. And that in itself, with taking care of all the deferred stuff, makes our properties really uh, – premier in our locations that we operate in interesting very good so yeah and there, you know that's it's this you think that's simple right so it's uh, you know clean safe and uh, you know uh, up-to-date property as far as up-to-date just meaning that it's not um there's you know not a lot of deferred maintenance you would think that would be very simple for lots of people to understand but um there's so many owner operators out there that just let all that stuff go by and um they just doing a disservice to themselves. Okay. Until we buy it. <laughs> Corey, I imagine there's some people listening to this that might have some interest in lending some money to your projects, to you and your projects. What would be a good way for them to reach out to you and get a hold of you? Yeah, we have a site that's set up just for that. It's called kahunapropertypartners.com. Okay. K-A-H-U-N-A. -A. Kahuna Property Partners partners cool and then so they can go in there and they can get a kind of our uh, brochure some free stuff uh, shows you know uh, a little bit of how we do we have a process when people come in that we have a questionnaire and again we're we're raising capital so we we follow all the rules with the uh, security and exchange commission so there is a very select process on how that works and that's a very important process yes which is you know if anybody's looking at wanting to raise this kind of private money you might want to check Corey out and see how he's doing it. Very good. And you have a new podcast coming out. Maybe by the time we release this, you will have that ready. What's that podcast going to be called again? 
It's the Multifamily Apartments Investing Podcast, and actually, it, it will be. We're in uh, another week and a half. We should be ready. We have already pre-recorded four episodes, so nice. We're we're, we're we're close to launching. I'm I'm writing that down. That's the longest podcast name I've ever heard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, do you have like an acronym for it? MF. AI I don't know, but I think I need to. <laughs> Multifamily apartment investing. Podcast. Mappy, I don't know. I gotta, you know, that's a good one. We should probably look at look that. <laughs> the the multifamily apartment podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um, right, yeah, map. Yeah, the map. Right. Take the word investing out. There you Maybe go. That. <laughs> look at that. You know, one of the things <laughs> I don't know if you knew this, Alex. We have reimpodcast.com. R-E-I-M podcast for Real Estate Investing Mastery. So sometimes it's easier when you're giving out a domain from your podcast to have something that's easier to write down. Because I can't tell you how many times I've told people realestateinvestingmastery.com and they'll right. start writing realestateinvesting.com or they'll they'll say realestatemastery.com. When you have more than three words, it's hard for people to remember that as part of the domain. Yeah. So think about uh, you know maybe a like an MFA podcast, multifamily yeah. apartment podcast, mfapodcast.com or something like that, that uh, will make it easier for you and your listeners That's to get to your Sage domain. advice, Joe. That is sage advice. <laughs> well, cool. This has been good, Corey. I uh, appreciate it. When is the next mastermind? When are you going to be there? I think it's in San Diego. Isn't that right? Yeah, I um I know it's coming up in like October-ish maybe. Uh You know, my wife runs that schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got I to meet your wife, wife for the me. first time at the last one too. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. This, I didn't but, intend uh, you, this to be a, a plug for the podcast, but if any of you guys are interested, uh this is why I love the Collective Genius podcast. I've been a part of it almost 4 years now. And you get some of the top investors in the country, guys that are doing big deals like Corey, come to this mastermind and share what they're doing, what's working for them. It's it's awesome. If anybody's interested in that, just Google uh, the Collective Genius, I think. Or is it is the domain thecollectivegenius.com? That might be it. It's, yeah, they believe it is the Collective Genius, yes. Okay. But it is a, you're right, Joe. It is, a, it is by far the best mastermind that you could ever be in. Mm-hmm. For real, for real estate, yeah. Oh look, <laughs> there's a picture of me on the front page. <laughs> they <laughs> they, uh, they took all of the podcast nerds and put us together in one in one picture. You got Sean Terry, myself, Jack Bosch, uh, Mike Hambright from uh, the Flip Nerd, Justin Williams from House Flipping HQ, Todd Toback. Who doesn't do his podcast anymore, but somebody needs to talk to him about that. <laughs> <laughs> so next, hopefully, maybe, uh, Corey, with your podcast, we'll do another Podcast Geeks uh, group picture at the next Collective Genius. Rock and roll, brother. <laughs> cool. Any, do you have any other questions, Alex? No, I'm good. Great podcast. Yeah, that has been good. All right, man. Thanks, Corey. Guys, if you hey, want... Thanks. Thanks, Joe. I'm going to give you a website Thanks, out Corey. again here real quick, kahunawealthbuilders.com. If you're interested in Corey's program and partnering with him on deals, if you're interested in being an investor with Corey, uh, kahunapropertypartners.com. And your podcast will be coming out soon, so keep an eye out for that. We'll have the links for that in our show notes, realestateinvestingmastery.com, realestateinvestingmastery.com. And uh, thanks a lot, guys. Corey, we sure appreciate you being on the show. Hey, thank you, Joe. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Corey. Bye. See you guys. Bye-bye.